good. Hey, um, so as the baskets are being passed, we're just going to kind of get started with um, with today's message. So, uh, you know, just so how you know how this works out. In the summer, we're planning sermon series, and Mark and Linda Miller, and myself and Ken and Robin uh, Thomas are planning stuff out, and uh, we're going to do something on the on the prophets, and we kind of work it all out, and then uh, we kind of figure out who can speak when and all that sort of stuff, and so. We just figured out we wanted to do something uh, about persecution because that's a part of what the prophets experienced and all that. And it just happened to fall on this day. And as I'm studying to put stuff together for the study guide, I, I email Linda, I think, back. And I go, Linda, you won't believe this, but um, November 3rd is pray for the persecuted church day. And that is the day that we had talked about doing persecution. So that it all just worked together. That, that's what we're going to be talking about. So... I'm going to set it up a little bit, and then I'm going to invite Danny to come up and be a part of this. And if you want to follow along in your Bibles, we'll be looking at Daniel chapters 3 and 6 today, really briefly. But, um, and they are really well-known stories. Who, um, who grew up in church? Going to church as a kid. Okay, a lot of us did. Uh, then if you grew up in church, you probably know the flannel graphs, okay? So the first one is this. Uh, Dave, put the first one up there. Yes, there's the flannel graph of the fiery furnace that we're going to look at today. And then you might have seen this other one. Next one is the, yes, Daniel in the lion's den, right? So you grew up with this stuff. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. So Nebuchadnezzar is king of Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar had quite an ego, I'm guessing, because he created an image, a monument to himself that was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, made out of pure gold. And then they said, hey, anytime the music plays, you've got to bow down and worship this idol you got to let me know how great I am. And so sure enough, they play the music. Everybody falls down except for three people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego so go, we are not going to worship this idol. We only worship our God. The people grab them and say, uh, bring them to Nebuchadnezzar and said, hey, these guys aren't uh, worshiping when the music plays. And Nebuchadnezzar says, well, you know what? The, the thing is, you're, we got to throw you into this fiery furnace. And then in uh, chapter 3, verse 16, here's what happens. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Hey, no matter what happens, we want you to know we won't serve your gods. And that is what is happening in persecution around the church today. People who have said, we will not worship those other gods. We will only worship our God. So sure enough, Nebuchadnezzar, good to his word, he gets really mad. He gets the fire seven times hotter than it ever has been before. <clears throat> he throws the three of them into the fire. Maybe you know this story. They looked in. They go, whoa. I thought we threw three people in. There's four in there. Who's the fourth? It's Jesus. That's right. And they are not burned. So they pull them out of the furnace. They go, whoa, what happened in there? And they said, yeah, our God took care of us. And then listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him 
and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or, or worship any god except their own god. Again, that's a picture of what the persecution is. It's about people who trust in God above everything else, who are willing to actually give up their lives rather than to worship some other god. They've said no to that. They've said we will only worship our God. Then if you move a few chapters ahead in 16, there's a new king in town. Some years have passed. His name is Darius. And he's a good king. And actually, Daniel is one of the top three uh, uh, government officials in his land. But there's a lot of jealousy from other people. And so the people go to Darius and, Darius and they say, hey, um, why don't you make an, uh, a decree, an edict, that for the next 30 days, you are the only one people can pray to. That you, King Darius, are the only one. No other, you can't pray to anybody else. And if you do pray to anybody else, you get thrown into the lion's den. They go, that's a good idea. So they make this edict. And then listen to what Daniel does. It says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before didn't stop him. I'm going to keep doing what I've always done. I'm going to keep worshiping and praying to my God. And then it says, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. You see, that was Daniel's thought is when this decree came out that you couldn't pray. The only thing he could do was to pray for God for help. So sure enough, they grab Daniel, they bring him to King Darius, and they say, look, we found this guy praying to somebody other than you. And Darius really liked Daniel. He didn't want anything bad to happen to him, but he had signed the decree. So he said, okay, Daniel, we got to throw you into the, into the lion's den. So they throw him into the lion's den, and then it says, Darius didn't eat that night, didn't have any entertainment, didn't watch any TV, and, and, um, and didn't sleep all night. And in the morning, as soon as it's daybreak, he runs there and he, he yells out to Daniel, Daniel, are you in there? Are you okay? And then this is what happens. See, Daniel answered and said, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den and when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Because he had trusted in his God. And again, that is what's happening all around the world today. There are people who that have said, we will not worship any other God. We will only pray to our God. And they have said, we will trust our God no matter what. So here's a real quick little picture of what persecution looks like around the world today in the church. Over 245 million Christians around the world experience high levels of persecution for their choice to follow Jesus. That's about one in every nine Christians worldwide experience high levels of persecution. 322 Christians are killed for their faith every month around the world. 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed every month around the world. 772 forms of violence, whether that's a beating, a kidnap, a rape, or an arrest, are committed against Christians every month. And for 18 consecutive years, North Korea has ranked number one 
as the world's most dangerous place for Christians. And there's a lot of other countries that fall right behind North Korea, China being one of them, a lot in the Middle East. But there's still lots of, of persecution that happens around the world. It started at the church when it first started, and it's continued, and it continues today. And uh, I'm going to invite Danny Wood to come on up, and he's going to talk about what persecution is looking like today in China and the, the work that he's involved with and what they're trying to do. So thank you, Danny. All right. Good morning, everybody. My name is Danny Wood, and um, for about the last 18 years, I've been involved in a ministry working in China. Uh, I don't know how I fell into it. I'm not sure. can't remember exactly how I got involved in it. My parents were missionaries to Mexico. I got three brothers working in Latin America, and I, somehow I end up involved with an organization working in China. Lately, I've been doing uh, a lot of weddings. I uh, officiated a wedding yesterday and didn't point. And uh, the weekend before, the Saturday before, I was in Beijing, China, and I officiated a, a wedding at a little church in Beijing and uh, where my staff uh, live and work. I have about 300 full-time staff uh, in China, and two of my staff members fell in love and uh, got married, and they invited me to come over and officiate their wedding. And so I was just there for two days. But I remember going into this... Um, uh, our, our ministry works among the migrant poor, and we have about uh, 1,400 little churches. Eight, 10, 15 people make up a little church. But the wedding I did a, a week ago, Saturday, I was in a, in a room about this size, maybe a little smaller, and it was in a, in a um, uh, kind of like a strip mall in the middle of the city, and, uh, and they invited me to do this on a Saturday morning, and I said to Molly, our director, I said, um, uh, is this going to be okay? I mean, I'm kind of the only white person in this whole place. And he said, well, we'll just bring you in the back door and bring you on up. And, uh, and I said, uh, has this church experienced anything? And they said, well, you know, like a month ago, the, the police were here, but they continue to meet, and I, I don't think it'll be a problem, but, you know, just bring your passport just in case. I thought, wow, that's just an interesting deal. I was standing on a cliff overlooking Dana Point doing a wedding yesterday, and it was just phenomenal. And I just remember back the week before sitting in this little church in Beijing, thinking to myself, you know, at any time, uh, somebody could walk in here and kind of change the dynamics of what is going on. And um, uh, I, I don't go to China that often. I have a lot of staff there. In fact, they don't like when I come because I'm kind of the white face among all these uh, Chinese believers and Christians. Um, but I get reports from my staff, uh, Kent Beckler and Karen Beckler. They're on my board of our organization. Uh, we were there in, uh, in May. And... Um, um, we, were, we went up, we own a conference center, and we were going up to see this conference center, and Molly said, well, we, we can't go for a little while. I said, well, why? Well, the police are just kind of making a, a, an investigation. They're going up there to look at the place. They heard that religious things happen there, uh, which, which they do. Um, and, but we have it registered as a hotel. And so uh, we drove that direction, and then about four hours later, they called us and said, oh, the police have left, come on up. And we wandered around and had dinner and those kinds of things. And that's just kind of this life that, that my staff and those live in. This, this, this idea that any time somebody can show up and say, no, you can't do this. Um, there are big signs up in front of what's called the legal church in China, the three-self church. Big banners that say uh, uh, children are not allowed to go to church up until 18 years of age. Um, uh, you know, so there's all these kinds of things. Uh, about 20 of my staff over the last year have been pulled in and interrogated. Who are you working for? Who's the contact? Where's the money come from? And so there's this constant fear that somebody's going to walk in and challenge what you're doing. Uh, 
Uh, we, had, uh, we did about 30 camps this summer for families, kids, those kinds of things. One camp, we were renting a, a hotel, and the police showed up. Hey, we heard you're religious. Somebody at the hotel turned you in. You all have to disperse. So, they, you know, there's uh, 40 families. And um, uh, within about uh, two hours, they found another place 100 miles away. They bust them all out there, and uh, they spent five days together there. And 39 of the 40 families came to Christ at the end of that week. And it was just this, but there's this constant, like, who's going to show up? Who's going to show up? So what I want to do this morning is I, I'm going to show you a couple little videos. Um, uh, one is uh, from what's called Sky News, just talking about the church. And then another one is about five little um, videos uh, that people have sent me from China of different churches where people are coming in, disrupting, and those kinds of things. So watch this, and then we'll talk about a little bit of that afterwards. And Dave, play that um, second one, the little clips together. This is a, this is a church that um, police came in and just started taking furniture out of the church. It's the best way to close the church down, just come in and take everything out. Hmm. Emptying out another church. <coughs> this is they're chipping the name of the church off the wall, uh, and people are singing there in front of it. Service is going on, and the police just kind of show up. It's kind of an intimidation factor. Police are standing there, and um, after a while, it's kind of a showdown between the police and the pastor and the people in the congregation. Another place where they're just taking the name off the front of the church. So, um, that's great. You can go to the next screen and hit those lights. You know, the w- one thing about persecution that uh, government wants to do, they just want to instill fear in you. It's kind of like, I don't want to go there because something's going to happen. And uh, if they can instill fear in you, they've already kind of overcome your need to, uh, to get together. Um, uh, under this new president, Xi Jinping, you know, he wants to take religion completely out of society, remove religion, anything from the... He considers Christianity something from the West. And um, uh, so, uh, you know, constantly when I talk to Molly or some of my staff, it's, hey, how are we doing? Hey, we're doing great. Things are going good. But there's this kind of weight of fear on their shoulders. Can we meet? Can we do this thing? Or if we get together, are the police going to show up? Are going to get run out? Those kinds of things. So, um, but I, I want to put up 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 10. Um, and Molly quoted, uh, my director quoted this to me many times this last year. It says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. 
through suffering our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen be seen in our bodies. So I, I guess what I want to tell you this morning is that uh, I think that persecution uh, brings opportunity. I know that persecution comes because of other people or governments or those kinds of things that bring it upon us, but God is always in the process of redeeming things. And so when persecution comes, God uses that. So we know that uh, if you read the book of Acts, ver- very first verse in uh, chapter 8 says, as the, as the Jerusalem church began to experience persecution, people began to scatter. And it says the gospel just went with them wherever they went. And we know that that early church, um, when that, they finally scattered, they took the gospel to over 30 different countries, provinces, and islands. So um, uh, Molly, my director in China, she says to me, Danny, I know there's persecution, especially the last two years. And the amount of persecution in China has really gone up. She says, I just think that something big is coming. God is preparing us for something really big. And I'm really excited in spite of the persecution. So I really began to think about that, what Molly had to say. And, um, uh, you know, there are, um, over the last 40, 50 years in China, uh, the church has gone from this very small little thing when the Communist Party took over in 1949 to hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of churches. Um, They say that there could be as much as 100 million Christians in China. And as you begin to think about what God is doing around the world, as you begin to think about this persecution and that God takes persecution and the gospel spreads when there's persecution, uh, I begin to have this vision of maybe I get a little bit of a picture of what God is doing. So I want to paint that picture for you this morning because I want you to walk away from church here this morning thinking, wow, God is up to something really big and we can be involved. So uh, Dave, show, show that next slide. So um, this is the world population. Now, if you look way back here in like 300, 400 AD, uh, when, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, there were probably two or 300 million people in the world. As you can see from right here, there are, there are 7.6 billion people in the world. When I was born in 1956, there was about 2.5, 2.4 billion people. It's more than doubled in my lifetime. But you can see how flat it is, and then it just kind of took off. And when you think to yourself, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, that the numbers were like here, and now they're here, you think, how in the world are we going to tell 7.6 billion people about Christ? I mean, the task is enormous. It's just beyond comprehension. How is that going to happen? All right, show that next slide. So this is, um, this is um, what we call the 1040 window. How many of you ever heard that term, the 1040 window? The 1040 window is this kind of rectangular shape here in the, in, uh, uh, in the other side of the world. It's uh, 10 degrees above the equator, up to 40 degrees, from uh, western China, including uh, Japan, all the way to North Africa. They say about 4 billion people live in that rectangle. The 7.6 billion, 4 billion people live there. About 3 billion people are the most unreached people groups in the world. Unreached, that right there. Um, so, go, go to the next slide. Um, where, where are the missionaries working in the world? Let me, let me just paint this picture for you really quick. I'm, I'm going to bring this to you and give you an idea of what God is doing. Go to the next slide. So, they say, uh, those who take these uh, surveys, that about 32% of the world is considered Christian. 
Not all true believers in Christ, maybe nominal Christians, but about 32% of the world population is Christian. Go to the next one. About 38% of the world has access to the gospel, but has chosen not to follow Christ. In other words, they have Bibles in their language, they have churches nearby, friends and coworkers are potentially Christian. Go to the next one. About 30% of the world have never heard of Jesus. About 30%. 30%. No chance of hearing the good news, no access to the gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers nearby. They kind of operate in that 1040 window. Okay, so where are the workers? Uh, where are the Christian workers? Next slide. Where are the missionaries? 72% of the world's missionaries are working among the 32% who are already Christian. 72%. Go to the next one. Among uh, about 25% of the world's missionaries, Christian workers are working among the 30%, 38% who have access to the gospel. Go to that last slide. 30% who have never heard the gospel, no chance of hearing it. About 3% of the world's missionaries are serving among that people group. Go, uh, go to the next slide. So really, that target right there is uh, about 3 billion people in there. Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, non-religious people live in that window. That's really the target of where where Christian workers should be working, right? So um, they say that China has about 100 million Christians kind of sitting there. The church has been percolating. You think to yourself, wow, God, if you could get some kind of missions revival going in China right across that 1040 window, wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be incredible? Go to that next slide. So when Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a missionary... His 1040 window, his target was that Mediterranean region, right? And uh, he, he was part of the Roman Empire, <clears throat> which, by the way, was a government opposed to the gospel, right? And what did the Romans do? The Romans were really smart people. Go to the next slide. The Romans built roads all over the Middle East, shipping lanes. They connected that part of the world for economic reasons and to move their armies, those kinds of things. All right. Go to the next slide. So now this is our 1040 window. And you'd say, how is God going to move these 100 million Christians right across that area? And how is God going to wake up that church in China to do this? Well, uh, you know, a few years ago, um, a, a president uh, became the new president in China. His name is Xi Jinping. And uh, this guy, um, uh, and people are really excited about Xi Jinping becoming president. And uh, he instituted something called the One Belt, One Road. There's a little slide up here, the next one, I think. Uh, China building the Belt and Road Initiative. It's a global development strategy adopted by the Chinese government. It uh, is going to connect about 150 countries, organizations, throughout Southeast Asia, Central Asia, North Africa, the Middle East, and all the way to Europe. Go to the next slide. China is building the Roman Road all over again. A, a, a government opposed to the gospel is building high-speed rail, ports, shipping lanes, airports, uh, roads all throughout from uh, western China across eastern China, right across India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Nepal, right into North Africa, the Middle East, all the way up even into Europe. They're building this huge infrastructure, and they're, they're committed to spend $1 trillion. They've already started. If you if you happen to look at the news or read the newspaper every day, there's always this deals that China is making. They're making them with the Philippines. They're making them with Vietnam. They're making them with Pakistan. 
They're connecting with rail and road. And, and the Chinese, they can go everywhere, right? I mean, what country have you been in a city you can't find a good Chinese restaurant? I mean, they're industrious, they're moving, they're, it, it's unbelievable. So, um, you can, can you got to get a little bit of a picture of maybe what God's doing? There's 100 million Christians in China. The church is percolating. There's persecution coming. The most unreached people group in the world lives in the 1040 window. How are they going to get there? God uses other governments, right? Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, Persia, Syria, to kind of bring the children of Israel back. And then the children of Israel come back with the good news of the gospel. Perse God, God brings about uh, Pentecost in Jerusalem. The people are having great time doing church. Man, isn't this great? We're hanging out. We're supporting each other and loving each other. And Jesus says, go. No, we're going to hang out right here. And then persecution comes and it squashes the church down in Jerusalem. And boom, people start moving. I believe that that's what God is doing in China. Go um, to that next slide. So um, we run an organization in China. For the last oh, 15, 16 years, we've been establishing churches in China, have about 1,400 among the migrant poor. Seven years ago, we recruited five Chinese university students, and we trained them, and we sent them as missionaries to Kathmandu, Nepal. And since that time, we've sent about 200 missionaries from China into Central Asia, Southeast Asia, Japan, uh, and then into Buddhist, Hindu, and Muslim countries all the way to the Middle East, Lebanon, Israel, uh, uh, etc. Um, so <laughs> this is what gets me excited. It's kind of you begin to see this vision of what God is doing. It's kind of like, wow, God is raising up missionaries from China. So, so um, just to give you context to this, um, my parents were missionaries in the uh, 40s, 50s, and 60s. They were part of what was called the student volunteer movement that started in the early 1900s in, in the U.S. In the late 1800s, there was, a, uh, there was a group of people who got together in England and began to pray. And they sent out the, um, oh, I'm forgetting the name, uh, seven missionaries from, uh, from uh, uh, England. And uh, uh, they traveled around England for a whole year and got people so excited. People got so excited about going that movement went over to the U.S. And then thousands and thousands of university students in the early 1900s went as missionaries all over the world. And my parents were part of that. People say that the uh, uh, missions movement belonged to America in the 20th century. I believe that missions movement will belong to China in the 21st century. So I'll go to the next slide. Our uh, new focus over the last seven years is to recruit, train, and send Chinese university students to the 1040 window. I want you to watch this little two-minute video about some of these men and women who are going. So um, currently we have about 200 that have gone, and um, it, it, it's <laughs> we're probably the largest mission sending agency in China, and, it, and it's a drop. I mean, it's nothing. But I know that river starts with drops, and then they turn into trickles, and then they become streams, and then they become raging rivers. And um, uh, is there another slide up there? This is just to give you an idea where we uh, currently have people, the red dots, and we're, we're hoping to send people over the next few years, the green dots. Go to that next verse. You know, uh, Jesus, uh, there are, are seven letters to seven churches in Revelations. And out of uh, Revelation 3, 8, it, Jesus writes to the church in Philadelphia. And he says, I know all the things you do, 
and I have an opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you have obeyed my word and did not deny me. You know, I think that's what persecution does. Uh, it, it comes and it builds strength and it builds builds courage, and people um, begin to sacrifice. And I think that's what God is doing in China. God is raising up a, a mighty force of people who the church in China has experienced persecution, but those people are being committed and uh, are courageous and sacrificing their lives for, uh, for, uh, to, to go and say the good, bring the good news. Go to the next one. Jesus said, the harvest is great, pray for more workers. So as we pray for the persecuted church, what we're praying for is that God would raise up more workers. And I'll leave you with just with this right here. This last slide is, uh, uh, go to the, the last slide. There we go. That is a Chinese character. It's the Chinese character for the word go. You can see there's a cross sitting in that thing, isn't there? And that's the, the character for the word go. So I'll turn it back to Don. Thank you. exciting to think what could be happening around the world, right? And, and you've seen, like Danny said, that persecution in, in Acts, that's what caused the church to move out. That's what caused many, many folks to come to know Christ. So uh, the question for us is, how do we respond then? How do we respond to the persecuted church? And, and there's a few ways. One is, um, I believe that we have to share resources. We have uh, more resources than the whole rest of the church in the world, and how, what would it mean for us to, as a church in the West, to sh share our resources with those churches that are ex experiencing persecution? The next thing would be just to stand in solidarity with the church around the world. Realize that we are a part of the body of Christ just as they are. What would it mean for us to suffer just a bit like they suffer? That's what fasting can bring up. That's what just maybe not going and getting all the comforts of our world and being able to sacrifice and give to others. And then the last thing is that we can pray for the church around the world. And so that's what I want us to do. And we'll end by, by praying for the church and taking communion. This will be a little interesting to see how we do this. But as we take communion today, here's what I want us to think about. Yes, I want you to be reminded that Jesus Christ died for you and that you have new life in Christ. But as you take communion today, I want you to remember that you are taking communion just as millions of other Christians around the world are taking communion. And that, our, and that taking communion today would be a way of showing our solidarity with Christians around the world. That we are a part of the body of Christ just as they are. So just a reminder of here's the statistics of what the, the persecuted church is dealing with. Is that in there, Dave? Just a reminder of what's happening around the world and then just a map of where this is happening around the world too. Next slide. And the churches that are in dark orange are where there's extreme persecution. The lighter orange is really high persecution and yellow is just high persecution. So with that, um, could the elders come forward that are going to help with communion today? And as we take communion, will you please also join me as I will lead us in a time of prayer? So yeah, Robin and Jen and I think Casey. And we will have um, three
station set up of communion, one over there, one here in the middle, one over on that side. And um, let me just uh, pray for us. So, Lord, we just want to take a moment to pray for the church around the world and to pray especially for those Christians who face persecution, Christians who are, are fearful of going to church on a Sunday, Christians who are, are not sure if any moment the police could come in and, and take them away to prison, churches that wonder if uh, they'll be shut down Churches that wonder if the, the Bibles will be taken away and the name just taken off of their church and scattered. And so, Lord, we want to stand with those people here today. We want to stand with the church around the world. Remind us, Lord, to pray for these people, to pray for these wonderful Christians who've given their life to Jesus. And we do pray, as Danny shared, that the persecution that is happening around the world would be what fuels evangelism, that moves people to move into different areas and different countries and different cities and towns, and that the gospel would move around the world, that nothing would be able to stop what you desire to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.